0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111. Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Well, as we mentioned, the breaking news at the top of the show, uh, reports are from the New York Times that Rex Tillerson uh, has uh, his uh, he is out as secretary of state and that he will be replaced by CIA chief Mike Pompeo. This has been a bit of a turbulent time for Rex Tillerson as secretary of state. There have been various reports of uh, dissension at the uh, State Department. Uh, Still many positions that need to be filled in that uh, in that department. Uh, And so it appears Hears, according to the reporting by the New York Times, that Rex Tillerson is out as Secretary of State. Joining us to discuss this here in studio, William Burke White, law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania and director of the Perry World House. And also joining us on the phone, Alec, Alan Hendrickson, who's a professor of diplomatic history emeritus at Tufts University. Bill, great seeing you again. Glad to be here, Dan. Thank you. Alan, great to have you with us today. My pleasure. So uh, I I guess let's start with your reaction to this. This is literally just breaking news within the last 10 to 15 minutes.
2: Well, the New York Times reported this literally about 9.55, so we're all reacting to it live time. Uh, I think everyone has come to expect that Rex Rex Tillerson's uh, tenure as the Secretary of State will be limited. Uh, I thought he would probably stay till early next year. Um, So I'm not shocked that he uh, seems to be moving on. Uh, I am concerned, obviously, at the state of the state department. Department that he has left. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm troubled with the idea of Mike Pompeo as the next Secretary of State. I don't think he brings the skill sets needed. uh, And it's gonna be a very turbulent time for uh, US diplomacy over the next several months as this plays out. Alan? Um,
0: This is very sudden. I, too, had not expected Secretary Tillerson to to leave so soon. Uh, He had an organizational plan, though not worked out in detail, that he was hoping to achieve. And despite the recent criticism uh, by, among others, uh, Nicholas Burns, who was a former uh, undersecretary of state for political affairs in the New York Times, along with Ryan Crocker, um, about uh, the dismantlement of the Department of State, I know that offended uh, Rex Tillerson. He, he said that this idea of hollowing out did offend him. So it probably did, did to some degree reflect a certain sort of pique and anger on his part, uh, his, his uh, rather sudden decision to, to leave. Uh,
1: when you look at the time uh, of Mr. Tillerson in office, Alan, I think a lot of people at the outset, obviously there were the concerns of, of him being in the oil industry and the relationship uh, potentially with elements in Russia, but I think there there was a, a very much a positive feel for Tillerson as he was going into the position a few months ago.
0: I think that's true, and there was some concern about his relationship with Russia. However, he made it very clear at the outset of his taking that job that uh, he was in favor of maintaining sanctions against Russia f- uh, f- uh, following the Russian move into Crimea and uh, and the pressure the aggressive pressure on on Ukraine so his his connection through ExxonMobil with Russia didn't seem to take priority yeah uh, I think that's quite true and as a speech that he gave um, to the State Department employees in May of 2017 in the Dean Acheson Auditorium, in which he outlined his vision. And his basic view was that our institutions, not just the State Department, but uh, NATO, the United Nations, were Cold War institutions, and they obviously needed to be retooled and, and rethought in relation to new conditions. Um, It's quite a remarkable speech, and I would hope that anybody who's really fair-minded about his tenure as Secretary of State would at least pay attention to what he thought he was doing at the very beginning.
1: And again, the reporting by the New York Times is, is that Rex Tillerson, or at least the White House, has a plan in place for Rex Tillerson to leave his position as Secretary of State sometime within the next few weeks. Mike Pompeo, the CIA chief, would be the person that would take over. Tom Cotton, who's a Republican from Arkansas, would take over from po- for Pompeo as head of the CIA. So your reaction, uh, Bill, to, uh, to his uh, early part of, of his time in office? Uh, so I think that there has been uh, an effort, of course, to try to
2: reform the State Department. And many secretaries of state do this. When I worked for Secretary Clinton, I authored her Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review, which was her effort to do so. She built a sort of bottom-up engagement in a much broader process that updated, modernized, and, and changed a lot of policies that, that needed it. Tillerson has taken a uh, an approach to personnel of essentially get rid of people as your way of driving change, um, and that has really uh, undermined morale in the State Department. It has gotten rid of uh, over 2,000 career diplomats and civil servants in the first year, uh, and it has led to you know a 33 percent decline in the number of people taking the Foreign Service exam who want to go be uh, diplomats. So it has hollowed out our diplomatic capacity and really left Foggy Bottom, the the State Department, uh, unable to function either in the U.S. um, government itself, fighting fights with the Defense Department and others. It's lost that clout, and it is not playing a major role in global diplomacy today.
1: Well, I I guess, Alan, the the question that probably a lot of people listening to – Uh, to this show uh, who don't follow this on a daily basis is uh, there are obviously a a lot of positions that are uh, in countries around the world that are obviously very important. Uh, There are probably also uh, some locations maybe not as important. So, I mean, when you talk about places like Europe, uh, and Russia and, and, and Asia right now, these are very important areas where you need to have coverage, where you need to have representation uh, in terms of developing relationships.
0: That is true. Um, and uh, in fairness to Secretary Tillerson, uh, he did not only compliment, but he, he, he praised and, and, and recognized the people in the Department of State uh, who were there when he arrived, particularly Tom Shannon. Uh, who's the Deputy Secretary, who's a very experienced person who had been he had been counsellor of the Department he'd been Under for Political affairs uh, he was very active in latin, latin american affairs and and Tillerson thanked all of the people in various offices um and embassies who who were as he put it, stepping up not only to take responsibility and fill the positions but but to try to leave the organization. What he didn't do and what the administration didn't do was to appoint those people to the top positions. So even though the embassies and consulates do have people in them, very, very knowledgeable people, Uh, They're not holding the top jobs, and Mm that often can make a difference in terms of the amount of attention they get from the host governments.
2: Yeah, it makes a huge difference. If you are the confirmed ambassador of the United States of America, and you want a meeting with the president of the country you're represented in, uh, and if you've had a long and distinguished career, you get that meeting in a different way than when you're the acting deputy chief of mission and they can ignore you. So uh, on one hand, at our posts overseas, we haven't uh, elevated people and confirmed them. But you also need real capacity back in Washington to give advice, to channel information, uh, to craft policy. And that's the other place where this administration uh, has not uh, appointed senior officials and has hollowed out the ranks below them, who are the people who feed information and policy into the process. And so we've both, you know, limited our effectiveness overseas and our policymaking ability back in D.C.
1: So if you go back uh, several weeks, a couple of months, uh, there were the stories that came out. About uh, the the relationship between Tillerson and Trump being frayed, and, and and the comments of. Of uh, Secretary Tillerson possibly calling him an idiot uh, in a meeting, uh, how much validity do you think there is behind those those uh, those stories,
2: Bill? Uh, it is clear that Trump and Tillerson do not have a good relationship, and that undermines the effectiveness of the Secretary of State because, again, the Secretary of State is taken seriously yeah. when uh, a foreign interlocutor knows that that person represents the United States and represents the President. I don't know what Tillerson did or didn't say in a closed door meeting. Uh, um, but they don't have a good relationship. They're not seen to be publicly backing one another, yeah. uh, and at least in terms of perception, I think it's probably a good thing that Tillerson does leave um, because he's not being a very effective Secretary of State without that relationship with the president. Alan,
0: I think that's I think that's true. Um, president Trump is obviously, he's obviously somebody who's very easily offended by criticism, and he expects loyalty. Uh, that he's <laughs> he's famous for that. Uh, When Secretary Tillerson indicated a while back that the United States did have contact with North Korea, which of course it does, at the United Nations and in other venues as well, uh, that evidently uh, was a disappointment, to say the least, to the White House, because uh, at that point we seemed to be adopting a policy of applying military pressure uh, and trying to get China and maybe Russia, too, to put pressure on, on Pyongyang. So he got crosswise with the with the president on on that point, but he was quite right, uh, and his relationship with Secretary mattis uh, evidently was a very good one. Um, they tended to I think have mutual respect, and uh I was really counting on that to at least see Tillerson through a while longer.
2: Yeah, I think it's dangerous um, to have as much upheaval as we're about to have in the State Department. Uh, and of course, Tillerson launched this uh, reform effort, uh, which is yeah. clearly going to be left in limbo. So Pompeo is going to come in um, and have to try to try to figure out how do you rebuild a State Department halfway through a reform process, uh, which is why I too thought that Tillerson would make it till February, March, um, sort of at least put the reform process with a big bow on it and hand it off. Right. Uh, instead, uh, it's going to be, it looks like a quite dramatic, uh, upheaval, uh, one that we may need in terms of where the State Department was headed, but I'm not sure that Pompeo is going to be able to to reverse course.
1: You mentioned uh, uh, people going into foreign service and that being a, an issue going down the road. When you look at, the, at what we have and, and the needs that we have around the world, how many people are going into Foreign Service? How many people have been going into Foreign Service, I guess is a better question, in the last few years, and what are the expectations of those people as they're going to these locations? Yeah, so it's it's a hard answer to give actual, you know, absolute numbers yeah. on,
2: uh, and Foreign Service now includes so many things that aren't just being a diplomat at the State Department, but when you look at the State Department itself, uh, every year they have an entering class of new Foreign Service officers uh, who spend some of their career in Washington and some of their career embassies overseas. Um, And like the military, it's a system where you move up over time in rank and change jobs throughout your career. There is not lateral hiring done by the State Department. So Mm -hmm. they don't bring in people mid-career, which means that when they have either a hiring freeze for several years or a massive decline, like we've seen in the last year, of the number of people who want to become Foreign Service officers, you're left with these gaps in the career structure. So 10 years from now, there'll be a hole in sort of middle management and 20 years from now, there'll be a hole in senior management. So uh, it is a longer term challenge when you do these hiring freezes uh, or see major declines. And what we've seen in this case is not just a decline in the number of people who want to join the Foreign Service, but people who normally would stay in for another 10 or 15 years retiring because they can take retirement benefits after 20 years and they're not feeling like their careers are being rewarded. So they move on and we lose their expertise and capabilities. So
1: do you think because of uh, of that plan that you laid out, do you almost have to change the philosophy here in the, in the short term to be able to be ready to fill some of those gaps.
2: I think you do. Uh, I can see several ways that may happen. Uh, retirees may be asked to come back. Yeah. Um, secondly, you may see a change where you allow more civil servants, those are not foreign service officers, they're uh, in a different category, uh, allowed to deploy overseas. Uh, and third, you might even see lateral hiring, where the State Department mm-hmm. someday recognizes that bringing someone who's had a career in academia or an NGO or in the private sector might actually be good for U.S. diplomacy. Alan? Um
0: As someone who has been teaching graduate students for, for four decades, many of whom go into the Foreign Service, this is something that deeply concerns me. There are some elements of continuity. Uh, there are a couple of programs. One's called the Pickering Fellowship Program. The other is the Wrangell Program. Um, these are programs sponsored by the government for students from minorities initially uh, to... Uh, go to graduate school, and they are given uh, positions in the Department of State, internships of a kind, sort of apprenticeships, with the clear understanding that they will become permanent members of the the Foreign Service. Evidently, in the early phases of of, uh, Secretary Tillerson's planning, these programs were to be eliminated, and that those who were already in the Pickering and Wrangell Fellowship programs were being asked to accept very short-term contracts or to pay back all of the money that they had been given to go to graduate school. Um, I don't know the details, but I believe there were some senior members of the Senate uh, who intervened and put a stop to this. So, as I think anybody who has been teaching graduate students in foreign affairs knows and realizes, these Pickering and Rangel Fellowship programs are at least symbolically important Mm -hmm. as part of the continuity of the training process. Also, uh, these programs diversify... Uh, the, the, the personnel, the composition of the Foreign Service, you know, giving us uh, language and other kinds of backgrounds that can be extremely important in Latin America and East Asia and so on.
1: We are joined uh, on the phone by uh, Alan Hedrickson of Tufts University, in studio by William Burke-White. Dan Loney with you here in our studios in Philadelphia, in case you were just joining us. The New York Times reporting that Rex Tillerson will be out as Secretary of State in the next few weeks. The White House apparently has a plan in place so that he will be replaced by Mike Pompeo, who is the current CIA chief, and then Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas will take over for Pompeo as the head of the CIA. You talked briefly, Bill, about Pompeo. Uh, Let's dig into him a little bit further. And as you mentioned, he's been running the CIA now for the last few months, Uh, moving over and taking over the role of secretary of state. He may not have that, but is there a way to be able to have that expertise going one from the other?
2: So, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo spent several years in in the House of Representatives, now has run the CIA for for, um – uh, almost a year, uh, What? but I'm not sure he has what it takes to be Secretary of State. What do we need in a great Secretary of State today? First of all, you need someone uh, that has a kind of global visibility, whether it was Colin Powell or uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, these are people, and John Kerry, are people with great stature, the ability to walk into a meeting room with any world leader and stare Vladimir Putin down if they need to. Uh, I'm not sure Pompeo uh, has that gravitas yet. Um, Secondly, I think given where uh, Tillerson has left the State Department, you need someone who understands that organization and institution and can rebuild it. That can deal with some of the personnel challenges we've been talking about. Um, Pompeo doesn't have a background either in the State Department or working directly uh, with the State Department. And third, you need real expertise on the biggest foreign affairs challenges of today. Pompeo has been at the CIA for a year, so he's ready and he knows what's happening. But he doesn't have uh, a long career uh, that his ability to do uh, hard foreign policy work. And so I'm a little nervous uh, about him as our next Secretary of State. Alan?
0: Um, it's worth noting he does have a military background. Um, he's a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. I think he graduated first in his class and then went to Harvard Law School. So he does have, uh, in both of those fields, the military and, uh, and the law, a certain professional background. Um, and, uh, and Bill did mention his congressional service. Uh, it does conform to a pattern of the Trump administration being filled uh, at top levels in the foreign policy and national security field with people who are from the military. Um, these are sometimes called the adults in the room. Uh, they have experience, certainly, and perspective, and they're actually less likely probably than some who are armchair <laughs> generals to to involve the united states in unnecessary military conflict but it is a pattern which is which is a pattern which is contrary to maintaining something like like equality for diplomacy in american foreign policy so then
1: if if this is all true and and we're moving this way the relationship between uh mike pompeo and general mattis will be one that will that will be very important to watch correct
0: that's probably true. Of course, the military itself, the Department of Defense, is heavily engaged in the intelligence field. So that's uh, it probably will be good for the interagency process, so-called. Yeah,
2: I mean, if you look at when uh, Hillary Clinton uh, and uh, Secretary Gates, uh, Obama and before him Bush's Secretary of Defense, uh, were aligned and saying the same things together, it was an incredible force, both within the U.S. government Mm -hmm. and abroad. Um, So hopefully we might see that between Mattis and Pompeo. Tillerson did not understand the interagency process. He'd never worked in government before, uh, and it didn't appear he was particularly close with Mattis either. So there is a chance here to reset uh, some of those tensions that have frankly frozen the State Department out of the key decisions of the last year, perhaps bringing the State Department back in, and that would have uh, good ramifications, morale, and other things. Uh, we're going to have to see if that actually happens. Well, the
1: important thing is, though, as you alluded to, Bill, I mean, this is a situation where you you have to hit the ground running. Uh, there There is no time for Uh, the ability to play catch-up and and really get a a full understanding of what's going on. Right. The good news is Pompeo is read in,
2: shall we say. He's getting the daily briefings. He's preparing the daily briefings. He knows what's happening in the world. What I don't think is he has ever grappled with the um, bureaucratic, logistical, HR challenges that the State Department faces now. Uh, And if he's smart, he'll bring in someone uh, who starts putting the department back together uh, underneath him, either as his counselor Mm -hmm. uh, or, depending Depending on what happens with the deputy position, uh, but there's a lot of, of repair work to be done um, that I'm not sure he is going to have the time for uh, or uh, perhaps the expertise for. Alan?
0: He probably would know many people who would be appropriate to put into some of the the assistant secretaryships, those dealing with various geographical areas. Um, Secretary Tillerson was evidently shocked by the number of persons who reported to him directly, oh, you know, I think over 80 people. Well, that would include... Formally, all of the ambassadors posted overseas. But the fact of the matter is, most of those ambassadors in Africa, Latin America, and elsewhere would be working through the office of the of the relevant geographic assistant secretary. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be, except formally, reporting directly to the Secretary of State. So, if the Secretary designate Pompeo. Knows people who would be very good, who have substantive background in Europe, Latin America, Africa, East Asia, and so on, to move those move those persons into those positions. That would be a very good thing.
2: There's something we don't know here, which huh? is, is this Donald Trump signaling that he's going to take the State Department seriously or not? It doesn't matter if Pompeo knows those people, if Trump won't appoint them uh, and send them to the Senate for confirmation. And I think the big question for me is whether Trump, uh, under Pompeo as secretary, with Trump with Pompeo as secretary, is willing to take the State Department seriously, right. empower it and bring it into the, the key conversations. Um, if Trump continues to approach state the way he did with Tillerson there, uh, it may not much matter whether Pompeo is better or worse. Um, the State Department will still be uh,
1: frozen out. The other interesting piece to this, Alan, it, it going off of the kind of the line of, of military relationship, is that in reading uh, the uh, the reporting by the New York Times, uh, General John Kelly is the one that that has kind of developed the transition plan on this. So that again gives you that link of military uh, between he and Mattis and potentially Mike Pompeo.
0: Yes, it does. It does suggest a kind of. Uh a kind of military intelligence diplomatic complex
1: my question to you is is a lot of people have also Uh, wondered whether or not Nikki Haley was potentially going to be somebody that would be in the mix here. Obviously, she has a very important role uh, at the U.N., but would Nikki Haley have been somebody that would have uh, possibly been on your mind as well?
2: So, you know, somebody asked me yesterday who do I think the next Secretary of State will be, and I said of course it's going to be Nikki Haley, and it looked like she was certainly lining up for that job and uh, the ambassadorship to the United Nations is often a stepping stone uh, to the Secretary of State role. We've seen that with Madeleine Albright and and others. Uh, I think the challenge that she had was that she was never that close to Donald Trump. She was in New York. She was not one of the insiders in, in the cabinet. And often you t- heard her talking points be quite distant from where Donald Trump was on issues. And it sounds yeah. to me like he wanted a loyalist who would follow uh, the line he sets rather than be the counterbalancing voice, which is, I think, what Nikki Haley uh, had tried to be. And that strategy doesn't seem to have worked, at least in terms of White House personnel appointments. Alan?
0: She was quite remarkable in speaking out very early in the Trump administration on, on most of the matters that came before the United Nations. And well before, I think, President Trump himself was, became familiarized with him. Uh, so she's obviously a very independent person and, um, and ambitious politically as well. Uh, and that possibly didn't sit too well with people in the White House.
1: 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, if you're looking at the elements that really need to be uh, addressed immediately, I think a lot of people have also talked about the fact that I, I believe we still do not have an ambassador to South Korea at this point. And with whatever all is going on in North Korea at this point, uh, that becomes a very important area of focus, Bill.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's the the number of global crises at the moment are are high, whether it's North Korea, uh, Saudi Arabia, that's undergoing significant political upheaval, uh, Russia, that continues to be a threat both geographically and to our own democracy, uh, a rising China. Some of those places like Russia, we have John Huntsman as the ambassador, we have an ambassador now in China. Uh, Others, uh, we neither have an ambassador nor a senior assistant secretary sitting in Washington guiding policy there. Uh, All of that says to me that this administration doesn't see diplomacy as the way you address those crises. Uh, And I certainly hope we find a diplomatic way out with North Korea, because the other way out is uh, is war. Alan?
0: I think that's quite right. The the two really obvious voids are the position of Assistant Secretary for East Asia and the ambassadorship uh, in South Korea. And those were positions that were held by very senior people, one of whom... um, was a former dean of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, the late Stephen Bosworth, uh, who also had served as uh, the special representative of the president for the, for the six party process. And he had been head of Kido, which was the Korean uh, uh, Peninsula Energy Development Organization, uh, and knew the whole Korean scene extremely well. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the really senior American diplomatic figures. And there's nobody like that. On the horizon right now.
1: Bill, you mentioned having uh, an ambassador in China, Terry Branstad, the former governor. Yeah. Uh, what role has he been playing in the region in general? I mean, obviously, China is the main focus, but you know, has he been playing a bigger role because of some of the the voids that have been left there?
2: Well, I think he's been playing a bigger role. Obviously, it's a behind-the-scenes role. It's not that you're visibly out on U.S. television every day, so we don't see it as much. But both because China is critical to all of these issues. So if you're trying to deal with North Korea, you've got to have China at the table. And because there's a lack of of senior leadership uh, as we've talked about both in D.C. and and in Seoul. So uh, those people who are left are having to do more. Uh, And if you think about the way diplomacy works. It is hard work. It takes deep knowledge of the region, deep connections, uh, and a, a, a kind of clout that you bring because of the position you're in. And, yeah. and Branstead can bring greater clout because he has had the career he's had, and he has the imprimatur of support uh, from, from the president and, and the White House. Alan?
0: Well, there's a special connection that, <clears throat> that Branstead has with, uh, with Xi Jinping. Yep. Um, I happen to be originally from Iowa. Um, and Xi Jinping, as a young politician in China, came to Muscatine, Iowa, um, and stayed with the family briefly. And that is uh, probably part of the, of the reason for Terry as being interested in China um, and his being appointed to that position. Now, not too much should be made of that, but sometimes these personal connections symbolically uh, can have an importance. He's been very quiet, as far as I know, in contrast with Gary Locke. Uh, A previous governor, uh, actually from the state of Washington, who Mm -hmm. was ambassador, who became very controversial in China because he carried his own bag, he drove a a very simple car, in contrast with with the politicians uh, in in the Forbidden City. And Branstad has not been consciously or or maybe unintentionally uh, provocative in that kind of way, so far as I know.
1: Great having you both with us today. Bill, thanks very much for thanks, seeing. Thanks, Thank you for coming in. Alan, thank you for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. All the best.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.